Awesome. Well, make sure you have a cup of coffee. Make sure you have a cup of tea. Get some caffeine because we're going to be digging into a new series called War of the Worldviews. And we're starting that today. So it's going to get a little heady. So if you thought, hey, I'm going to tune in, not really pay attention, not really. I'll just kind of like be playing free sell or something. Uh, that's my, my story right there. That's what I do. But play, play a game on my iPad or phone and kind of listen to the message. You might miss some of this because we're going to dig into worldview and talk about this. So we're going to get a little deep, a little heady, uh, a little philosophical. And, uh, but I think it's so valuable because right now, this world that we are living in is, is a total reflection of the worldviews behind the scene and how people are being directed in the way they see. And oftentimes, as followers of Jesus, we can sort of lose sight of that. And we just went through a series called Zoomed Out, where we talked about seeing the bigger picture. And this message could have fit perfectly into that. But I want to go uh, even more deep into the idea and concept of worldview and how that is shaping and influencing us and how valuable it is for us to really make sure that we are in alignment with God, with the way that God sees things and in alignment with God's word, and that we truly, as followers of Jesus, have a Christian worldview. Because it's absolutely possible to go to church, espouse Christianity, even celebrate Christian causes or values or virtues, but not actually be thinking and rooted in a biblical or Christian worldview. So we're going to talk through that over the next few weeks. I'm really excited. I believe that God's going to use it to help us uh, for our personal spirituality, but also so that we can be a good witness and expression of Christ in the world around us by rightly dividing the word of truth and understanding the times. It was said in the, the Bible about the sons of Issachar that they understood the times. And it's important for us to understand these times that we live in, history, and how worldviews shape and influence culture, history, politics, everything, and even morals and values as they are expressed in society. It's so valuable for us. So we're going to dive into that. But first, I want to tell you a little story. So many years ago, I used to uh, wear glasses. Uh, now, I've since had LASIK surgery, so I don't need them anymore. But I didn't know I actually needed correction of my lenses, right? I didn't actually know I needed anything. And my mom one day said, Jake, I don't think you're really seeing things clearly. I think I was 14 or 15 years old. And so she took me to get glasses. So we went to, you know, the top of the line uh, optometrist at Walmart. Uh, we went into Walmart and uh, they did a good job, I suppose. I, I don't know. But uh, they did the whole thing, the puffy eye test, you know, the poof, that, which is scary. Optometrist, figure out a better way. Come on, this is scary stuff. But I got the test and they said, yes, you know, you do, you do need correction. And so they ended up getting it all done. And I remember, I'm not sure if it was the exact same moment, but I remember when I went in and got my glasses and I put them on and I remember walking out into Walmart and I saw things that I'd never seen before. At least from a distance, I realized, whoa, the world is so much more vivid than anything I imagined. I, I remember very specifically seeing the rollback sign, okay? It was like, was 1499, now 1486 and a little happy, you know, smiley face. I saw that rollback sign and my my vision was corrected. Now, here's the deal. And this is, we're talking about worldview and I'll explain this in more detail, but I want you to get this concept right at the beginning. Getting those glasses didn't change what was real. The rollback sign was always there. Uncle Sam Walton was already gonna give me the 14.99 pool noodle for 14.86. That was always gonna happen. That was what was real, okay? There was always, you know, two coolers for 9.99 and 14 bags of chips for 7.99. You know, the, all everything that was there still existed. Nothing that was real changed, but what I saw changed. What I was able to perceive and how I was able to interact with the world 
was absolutely different. So worldview does not change what's real. It simply gives you a picture or a clearer picture if you have the right worldview, a tuned in worldview of what actually is and allows you to interact with it in that way. There's a famous quote by C.S. Lewis who isn't just a, maybe if you heard of C.S. Lewis as like he's the writer of Narnia, he writes children's books. Yes, he, he did that, but he was also a brilliant philosopher, Christian apologist, someone who actually converted to Christianity from atheism based on the intellectual uh, perspective that he found of the Christian faith. And one of the things that he said, one of his famous quotes is this. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Let me say that again. I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not just because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. And what's he talking about? He's talking about a worldview correction that as he adopted the Christian perspective, as he adopted a Christian worldview, he, he began to see that which actually was and, and, and actually is in the world around him. And it gave him clarity to see the issues of life and clarity to see the things that were right and wrong, so on and so forth. And that is how he was able to interpret the world and the universe around him. Now, if I've lost you, don't worry. I'm going to try to explain this in a bunch of different ways so that it really uh, makes sense to all of us. But worldview is like the lenses that are over our eyes. And when I say our eyes, I don't just mean how we see the physical world, though that's part of it, but it's how we see everything, the physical world, reality, morality, politics, culture, everything that we see is shaped and influenced by our worldview. Worldview is how we interface and interact with the world around us, and it impacts everything we think, believe, and do. Okay, let me say that again. Worldview is how we interface, right? It's how we connect and interact with the world around us. And it impacts everything we think, everything we believe, and that which we actually do. Okay. So your worldview really matters a lot. You ever heard somebody say, well, that guy has rose-colored glasses, right? It's kind of like Husky fans. And, you know, we'll just talk about worldview in college football. Hopefully we get a season. Husky fans are like, you know, the Ducks, they're overrated, and this is what's going on. And Duck fans are like, guys, you're delusional. You're wearing Husky-colored glasses. Like, you got purple and gold glasses on. And us Duck fans, let's be honest, we can wear the green and yellow glasses, can't we? Where we sort of see things through our perspective. So we understand worldview that it applies to everything in life, whether it's college football or what restaurant you like or whatever. But it's not just a matter of preference. And this is what I want to be clear about. Worldview is actually shaping what you see. So you're interacting with things as if that is what is real. But your worldview doesn't actually dictate what's real. It's just telling you what's real. Now you see why this matters so much. Because if our worldview is not accurate, then we're going to interact and interface with the world. We're going to think things, believe things, and do things out of, it, of an incorrect, maybe even distorted or flawed lens, and it's going to cause us to do the wrong type of thing, okay? So just like I had to get glasses, we have to get a worldview that actually works, a worldview that allows us to interact and see and interact with the world in a proper manner, and it really, truly matters. Now, let's look into the scripture for a minute here. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. And how many of you go, amen, God transform me, whether you're Democrat, Republican, whether you are uh, rich or poor, whether you are uh, white or black, wherever, whatever you are, whoever you are, how many of us would believe we need to be transformed by God? Okay, yes. Okay, if we accept Christian faith, we believe this. But listen to what it says. Let God transform you into a new person by what? By changing the way you think. 
Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. What's this verse talking about? It's saying, if you want God to transform you into a new person, you've got to be willing to let God change your thinking. And it's actually implicitly talking about the fact that your thinking is broken, right? My thinking is broken. I need glasses. My worldview isn't accurate. My thinking is flawed. And it's causing me to do, think, and believe things that aren't necessarily good in, re- in rel- relation to reality. So all of us need an upgrade in our thinking in this area of our worldview. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, this is not, the context is not of worldview, but it's a description of, of the, the separation or the gap between the way we think and God thinks. In Isaiah 55, God is saying this through the prophet Isaiah to his people who are resisting going back to Jerusalem. So that's the context of this. They're kind of like, no, we're good in Babylon. We're in exile. He goes, no, you need to go back. And, he, and he's talking about how he'll bless them if they go back. But listen to what God says in, in, reflection, or in uh, recognition of the, the gap between the thinking. God says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. I hear a lot of wives saying this to their husbands. Look, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, right? Uh, and, and the Lord says, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Now, this is God in a nice way saying, y'all dumb. You don't, you don't get it. You don't see it. Okay. Now, let me just tell you something right now. If you are in any way thinking of yourself as a Christian or in any way looking to be a Christian, you have to come to grips with the fact that you don't have everything you need in your perfect little self to figure out the world and save yourself and and be perfect. You don't have it. Like at a very fundamental level, the Christian faith is built on this thing called humility, which is the humility to recognize that I, as a human being, living in a time-locked state between, you know, I was born in 1984. My, uh, my um, perspective is very limited here in 2020. But God, who created all things, sees the end from the beginning, knows all things, has all knowledge, all wisdom. His thoughts are not just a little bit higher than mine, they're a lot higher and to, to lean into being a Christian is to be humble enough to go, man, I don't get it all. There are things about politics and morality and how to live and what's true and all these kind of things that I actually need God to tell me what to think. I need God to help me. God's saying to his people, look, my ways are higher. He's saying it in a nice way because he's trying to get them to do something that they don't think is for their benefit, but he's trying to lead them and guide them back to Jerusalem from exile. They're like, no, 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 we're good. No, listen, I want to bless you. I want to give you something. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So we have to recognize that there's a worldview, a God perspective, right? A zoomed out perspective, as we've just been talking about, that is higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And we have to have the humility to say, man, I recognize that. And God, I want to get your perspective. Okay, so it's a brief introduction to worldview thinking there. So how do we approach this? I want to get into the meat of this, into the philosophy of this, and give you some practical things. And this is just an introduction today, and we're going to talk through these issues at great length over the next few weeks. So if you hate this, you're going to hate the rest of these messages, just being honest with you. Great time to catch up on your trashy TV on Netflix. Okay, the big three questions. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. See, salty today, Jake. You salty. Yeah, I am. I had a lot of sunflower seeds last night, so I'm salty. Okay, how do we approach this? Every worldview, whether you are an atheist or you are a Christian or you're an agnostic or you're a Buddhist or whatever you are, every worldview has three big questions that it must answer, okay? 
So there is no such thing as an absence of belief. Someone who says, I'm just agnostic. There might be a God, I don't know. Well, that's actually a commitment in a particular direction, okay? Uh, now, you, you've probably met people, hardcore Christians, are like, there's a God, everybody else is wrong, I know everything, and you're like, ah, I don't really, that's kind of weird, but they have a perspective. Then you have atheists that know everybody that believes is delusional. That's a perspective. These are worldviews, okay? And every worldview, regardless of what it is, has to answer three questions. Number one, the question, what is real? Number two, what is true? And number three, what is right? Okay? Number one, what is real? Number two, what is true? Number three, what is right? Now you go, what does this mean? Okay, let me explain it to you. Every worldview is answering these questions and it's shaping how they think, believe, and, and what they do. Okay? Whether you're a Christian, atheist, whatever. The first question is the question of origin and reality. So this question of what is real, it's, it's, it's the question of ontology. Now, you don't have to worry about if you know that word or not. If you do, that's awesome. If not, no problem. You can look it up. But the question of origin and reality, asking questions like this, how did this universe get here in the first place, right? There was a man named Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz, and he said, why is there something rather than nothing? It's the fundamental question of metaphysics. Why is there something rather than nothing? In other words, why do we exist, and, and, and how do we exist, okay? And so this question of origin and reality, how did the universe get here in the first place? How did I get here in the first place? Why are we here? What, what is going on? What is the, the nature of reality? Is there a God, right? Or, or is, the, uh, is matter and energy all there is, right? These are worldviews at work. Carl Sagan, the famous naturalist philosopher, he said the cosmos is all there was, all there is, and all there ever will be. What's he expressing? He's expressing a particular worldview that we live in a closed natural system. There is no supernatural or metaphysical cause of the universe. And the universe just simply exists or it came to be in some you know, random causation of natural things, of just purely matter and energy. Now you go, gosh, Jake, you lost me because I came to get encouraged. And, and, you know, Well, this is important though because every worldview is answering this question. So if you're a Christian and you believe that God created the earth, that is different than a person who believes that the universe just came about by a pure random chance. And the implications of this, as we're going to see, carry forward from these core beliefs. But every worldview is answering this question. Every worldview has to give an answer for this question. And if you uh, grab hold of a particular worldview, that is what is shaping your view of life. So the idea that I believe as a Christian with a Christian worldview that there is a God and he created the universe is very different and it leads me to act differently and think differently than the person who thinks that the universe is just, you know, merely happenstance that it came to be or that it was, you know, seeded by aliens or whatever they believe. And a lot of people believe a lot of different things, okay? So whether you believe in God, the great spaghetti monster in the sky, you're an atheist, whatever, you do have an answer for this question that's shaping how you think, believe, and act. The second question, what is true, is the question of truth and knowledge. And these build upon each other. Okay, the question of truth and knowledge. For all my geeky people, this is the question of epistemology. Okay, how do we know what we know? What makes something true? What is the standard of reason, of logic, of thought that makes something true and or false? How do we know what is true? Why should we trust the thoughts that we have? When you say four plus four is eight, why is that correct rather than four plus four is nine? And some of you are like, that just hurt my heart right now, Jake, what you just said. Right. Okay, but how do you know that four plus four is eight? And are you confident in that? Are you sure? And if you say yes, then I would say why? And that's the question of epistemology. Why is four plus four eight rather than nine? 
and how do we know that? And how do we intuit that? And why should we trust our thoughts? Okay, and I might be messing with some people right now, but what is the standard by which we say something is true or false? When somebody says, that's a lie, what do they even mean? Or this is true and you should trust me. Now, hopefully you're starting to see where I'm going with this because right now there's all, everyone is yelling, this is what's true. This is what is right. This is what is. This is the truth. No, that's fake news. That's false. That's lies. That's biased. This is coming from here. You need to take off your Trump colored glasses. You need to take off your Biden colored glasses. You need to take off your, you know, these glasses. Like you need to see things my way. Well, how do we know what's true without a standard? The reality is everyone has a standard. Some people just won't admit it. Some people just have a standard of themselves and what they feel. And that, that might be what works for you. And we'll have to talk about that. But number two is the question of truth and knowledge. What is real? What is true? And every worldview answers these questions. Every worldview has to answer these questions. These are the fundamental ones. Number three, what is right, is this one is where things really start to get sticky because the first one seems kind of philosophical and abstract. Well, I believe in God. Well, I believe in random, you know, happenstance. The universe was a, you know, uncaused cause. Uh, okay, okay, well, whatever. Let's just go watch the ducks. Okay, we can kind of walk away. Then the truth one starts to get a little bit more sticky because it's like, well, no, like that's a lie. Well, no, it's not. This is my truth and you have your truth, right? That question starts to get a little bit more heated. But then we go to the third one. And this is where we get mad at each other, isn't it? The question of what is right. And this third question is the question of morality. And it says, it asks this question, does right, do right and wrong exist as categories? Are some things intrinsically right and are other things intrinsically wrong? And the reality is almost everyone I've ever talked to might deny that, but they actually do believe that because if you say, um, you know, well, what do you think about killing puppies or, 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 you know, taking people and throwing them off bridges? They go, oh, that's wrong. That's evil. Well, who dictates that? Who gets to say that's what's wrong? And you go, well, you know, what's truly wrong is being a Husky fan. That one I agree with. We all agree, right? That one is intrinsic. That's baked, baked into the universe. No, I'm having fun. But the question of morality, what makes something right or wrong? What makes something good or bad? And then how do we know? How do we pick that up? And who gets to say? How, how is that determined? Is it up to you? Is it what you feel? Is it just what I feel is right? Because maybe there's things that I feel that are right that you feel are wrong. And this is where the disagreement comes in. And this is where the disagreement isn't just purely intellectual, it becomes actual. Because for instance, if I come and I take my key and I just scrape it down the side of your brand new you know, car and you go, hey, don't do that. And I'm like, well, you know, I have my own morality, bruh. You know, like this is what I want to do. And it makes me happy. If it makes me happy, it must be good. Well, no, because this is my property. Okay, well, what does that mean? So property, like you have a right to property and who gets to say that? Well, the government says that. Okay, but who gave it the right to the government to determine that? Well, it's illegal. Well, what's law? What's law but merely an abstraction of morality? So if I want to steal something or take something or if I want to, you know, take your car and take it for a joyride, what, what right do you have to tell me that I can't do that? And what you're appealing to is a standard of morality that is either explicit or implicit, but it's there but who gets to determine this? Now you can see, I'm not trying to push one thing or another. I'm just explaining the mechanics of this, that every worldview answers these three questions. What is real? What is true? What is right? This is the question of morality. Now, as a Christian person, what I believe and what I have found through research and studying this out and taking these lenses and looking at things through them 
is that the Christian worldview gives me coherent answers to these questions that allow me to interface and interact with the world around me accurately, not perfectly. So I want to be clear about this. A Christian can say, this is a sin, and yet still engage in that sin and be wrong on the wrong side of morality. But there's a difference between saying, I'm on the wrong side of this line versus saying, I make the line where I want it to be, and I move it to suit myself. This is where people get into big trouble. This is where our culture is getting into big trouble right now because what we're doing is we're taking the line and we're going, yeah, there's a line and we're going to move it to suit the whims and the fancies of whatever we think is good, bad, ugly, and different. And if you find yourself on the wrong side, we're going to absolutely take you down, but we're going to move that line later. You can go back into the 40s and 50s and the way that, that, that people talked about women, including women, okay? today we're horrified. We're like, oh my gosh, like this is so sexist. It's awful. And yet in that day and age, there was no moral comeuppance against that. Now, I believe God was against sexism in the 50s, 40s, 30s, 1800s, whenever, because God isn't sexist. Okay, are you with me here? But follow along with me. It's hard to get, I don't see you. I'm just looking at a camera here, but I'm believing you're with me. Okay, so that's why I'm doing this. I'm dancing. Okay. But at that time, the things that people did and said, there wasn't a moral outrage, whereas now there is. The line has shifted, okay? And the line itself that shifted in culture may not cohere or correspond with the actual line that God has established of morality. But I think you can see why there's so much confusion and angst and and things going on. People are upset and angry right now about things, and maybe even rightfully so. For instance, in our culture right now, a lot of people are really upset, including me, about racism. But I've been upset about racism for a long time. So now a lot of people are really mad and upset about racism. But as a Christian, it's a little bit like, why are people so mad about racism now? Racism has been just as wrong since Jesus died on the cross and paid for the sin of racism. Are you hearing what I'm saying? A lot of people right now are very woke about racism, but they're very asleep about sexual immorality. A lot of people right now are very woke about about tolerance, but very asleep about other issues. And see, what's happening is morality is being used as a weapon, but it's relativistic, and the worst moralists are relativists. You see, we can find ourselves on the wrong side of the line, but actually knowing where the line is is so valuable. And worldviews talk about this, including having a worldview that maybe moves this line. Now, hopefully I haven't lost you, okay? But I want you, to, I want you to lean into this. I have found that the Christian worldview gives me a coherent grasp, at least on the reality of things. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect or that I always do the right thing, but it gives me a lens through which to view reality through. And I'm inviting you to look at life through the lens of a true Christian with a biblical worldview. So the Christian worldview can be broadly expressed in four stages that I believe give coherent, cogent answers to these three questions. Number one, uh, and these are four historical stages. Number one, in the Christian worldview, we have creation. Creation is this epic where God, in, in his eternal state, says, I'm going to create the world. I'm going to create human beings. And God is the one that originates and starts things. So this answers that first question. What is ultimate reality? Well, there's God. He created everything. He's in charge. He established morality. He established epistemology. God set the moral law. God set the the laws of logic and the laws of science, the laws that govern the physical world and the laws that govern logic. He set the axioms of life, such as mathematics, why four plus four is eight rather than nine and why it doesn't change. God is in charge. He created us and the world around us. So the Christian worldview starts with a king. 
The Christian worldview starts with a sovereign. It starts with a God who is himself the originator of all things, but also the authority that we look to. He is the light that we look to to give us clarity on our existence. Okay, it's kind of heady, but follow with me. So creation is the first uh, position of the Christian worldview. The second stage is this, the fall. So we see in Genesis chapter 3, the first humans, they make a very uh, distinct decision to turn against the, the, the order of the creator and against the law of the creator, and they take part of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. They rebel against God, and they become corrupt. And this is where we see that the story goes horribly wrong, where human wickedness and the overflow of evil and death and disease, and all these things come into the story and mar it and muck it up and take it out of what God originally intended. This is the fall. This is part of that humility that I'm talking about, that we as humans need to recognize we are fallen, like we are fundamentally flawed at a deep level. doesn't mean that you're like a murderer or the worst person on earth. It's not about that. The fact of the matter is, though, you've been distorted and marred by this thing that we call sin. It has both impacted us environmentally and also originated from us uh, as fallen human beings. We've rebelled against God and become corrupt. This is part of the Christian worldview. Now, a lot of people that are Christians are going, hey, I'm a Christian but they still believe that people are basically good. Well, that doesn't fit into the Christian worldview. You have to accept as a Christian, um, or at least what Christianity teaches, that human beings actually were created in the image of God, but fell, and there is a a distortion of that image, and there's a problem, okay? And that's why the third epic, the third wave of, of the Christian worldview comes in, which is redemption. And this is that God sent Jesus to save us because of his grace, his love, his goodness, and that we can be reconciled with God through Christ. Without the fall, there's no need for Jesus. Why does Jesus come and die on a cross if sin isn't real and we didn't actually fall away from God, right? None of these things work without the others being in place. So redemption is the third, and the number fourth is restoration. This is that God will eventually judge the world and restore creation. So Christians, we look back to the creation. We say God is the the originator, he's the, the author of life. He sets the rules uh, of, of physics, of, of nature. He sets the rules of morality, the rules of logic. And we have fallen from that, which is why we are kind of a mess on this planet. But he made provision through Jesus so that we could be reconnected and reconciled and redeemed. And then we are a part of now this solution working towards what God is going to do through restoration, where he judges the world, judges evil, judges, uh, uh, you know, gets the... Uh, evens the playing field, so to speak, right? And, and recreates and restores creation and goes back to original intention. This is the Christian worldview. And if you notice, it answers these three questions. Now, you might disagree with the answers. That's okay. But I want you to be clear that it does answer them because when you ask what is real, well, God is ultimate reality. There is nothing beyond. He himself uncaused is the cause of all things. Like Aristotle posited thousands of years ago, that there must be an unmoved mover. Somebody started the dominoes falling of natural causation. Now, we don't have time to go into all of that, but that was posited even through philosophers that there had to be, if there's a a, a string of physical causation, there had to be an uncaused cause. Christians believe in a supernatural reality that has both spirit and matter. So it's not just matter and energy. There's a spiritual world, which doesn't necessarily adhere to the laws of physics. Therefore, there's an uncaused cause. So it's not an anti-scientific or unscientific view. It simply gives... Uh, an explanation of origination. Now, every worldview has to answer that question. So you could say, man, I don't believe in that. Pish posh spirits, that's ridiculous. This is fantasy. This is the Easter Bunny and Harry Potter. It's just not real. Okay, well, how did the universe come about? Because you can, you can come against that, but you need to provide an answer. And people have. They said, well, aliens 
uh, they seeded life on earth. Well, that just, that's just you know, putting the question one step back. Um, they say, well, no, there's a multiverse, and it spit out all these universes over time, but what started the multiverse? So like at some point, you have to just take a leap into the gap and say, what do I actually think or believe? Okay, I got a little deeper on that than I meant to, but you still with me? Okay, so what is real? The Christian faith says God is the origin of, is the origin of all things and the, the arbiter of ultimate reality. What is true? Okay, God, again, as the creator, established the laws of logic. He's the reason that there is coherence in the universe. The reason we can trust the thoughts that we think, that we observe a bird and we go, that's a bird, and it is a bird, okay? Now you go, well, this is like stuff I've never thought about before. Okay, welcome to philosophy, right? We're thinking through these questions. When you see the sun, why do you think that's the sun and not just a big ball of cheese, right? And some people have actually embraced this fully non-rational worldview where they're like, I can know nothing. I know nothing. I can't be confident of anything, why do you trust the laws of physics? When you walk out of your house in the morning, why do you not just fly off into space? Well, because of gravity. Yeah, but you know, we don't actually know why gravity works. We know that it does. We know how it does. We don't know why. And so at some level, we're, we're all accepting by faith, okay, that there, there are things that just are. There are axioms of life. And so when it comes to truth and knowledge and how we trust our thoughts and think through things, the Christian worldview gives an answer for that in the person of God establishing the laws of logic and the laws of reason. Number three, the question of morality, do right and wrong exist? Yes. Do they exist? Absolutely, yes. Are there things that are intrinsically right and intrinsically wrong? Yes. The Christian worldview says God, again, established that which is right and that which is wrong, and cultures come, uh, go to the line, across the line, back and forth. Certain things that, that occur, uh, you know, are right and some and that are wrong. And whether or not I see the line doesn't mean I'm a perfect person, right? You can be an immoral person and still have an accurate worldview. Okay, so I want to be clear about this. This doesn't make you better to have a clearer worldview. It simply allows you to know, yes, this is the line. Murder is wrong. Adultery is wrong. Racism is wrong. There's a standard. The, my feet are upon this foundation of the, the moral code that God has put into the universe. So the Christian worldview answers these questions, and every worldview has to answer these questions. My thesis is that the Christian worldview is the accurate viewpoint versus these other ones, and we're going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks. But why does all of this matter? You go, Jake, why are you subjecting us to this deep philosophy, you know, talking through these things today on a Sunday? I just want to go play golf. Well, you can't because you're not allowed to right now, so that's why you get this. Why does it matter? It matters because worldview shapes everything we think, say, and do. If your worldview doesn't match reality, you're in trouble, right? You'll ultimately fall into trouble because you're, you're driving down the road of life, but you're not seeing clearly. You're not seeing the big boulder in the road. You're missing things. And the reality is that worldviews are not created equal. And I know you agree with me on this point because if you were to go back to the 1940s and go to Nazi Germany, uh, I don't think anyone of my listeners today would have a problem saying, yes, that worldview of Nazism and, and the, the racial superiority of the Aryan race and this ideology that Hitler was you know, putting out into the world and that people were accepting, at least for some were, and at least in, in a, in a time-limited sense, were accepting was actually an inferior worldview. Now, if you disagree with me, let me just tell you a story. I went to Israel, uh, <clears throat> not this year, but last year, and I went to the Holocaust Museum and I remember walking into this one memorial that was built by a family that had escaped a concentration camp, a Jewish family, come to the United States, made a fortune. They ended up donating this museum. 
And uh, the museum was simply this big giant room, um, and they were saying the names of children. Uh, it was this big room, it was dark, and there was like candles in it, um, light, so it kind of looked like an infinite star field inside. It's beautiful. And they were saying the names of all the children that had died. And I was, I was very deeply moved. And as I, I, I was crying uh, in there, thinking about all of the thousands and hundreds of thousands of children that lost their lives in concentration camps as the result of a worldview, as the result of an ideology, as the result of believing a certain thing and then acting upon it. And I walked out of this museum, out of this exhibit, and there was a, a relief carving of a little boy that looked just like my son, who at the time was four, uh, four or five years old. And it was a four or five-year-old boy looked just like my son, Jack. And he was the son of these people that had donated this museum. He died in the concentration camp. And when I saw that, it marked me forever to recognize that there are worldviews that are superior to others. What you think, what you believe, the way you see the world, one could be better than another. And you go, well, that's terribly intolerant. Well, say that to the people that lost their children as the result of this particular ideology, okay? Worldviews can be superior to another. The worldview of Adolf Hitler versus the worldview of Winston Churchill. Which one is a preferable worldview? Which one is better? How do you know? How, how could you say that? I believe that as a human being, you have at least some sense of this moral code, I believe, put into you by God himself that allows you to resonate and intonate with what is right and know that it was good that the Allies actually won World War II. In the midst of all of the chaos and death and destruction, everything that went on, is there a preferable worldview? And I believe the answer to that is unequivocally yes. Now you go, well, Winston Churchill wasn't perfect. He, no, it's not about being perfect. It's not saying that everything Hitler ever did was wrong. Um, it wasn't. You think when he brushed his teeth, it was morally wrong? Maybe he never did. That sounds like Hitler, right? He had bad breath and he was a tyrant. No, not everything he did was wrong. And not everything Churchill did was right. But as we contrast these two figures, it's pretty easy for us to go, yeah, one is really on the right side, one is on the wrong side. Like, if you're a fan of Emperor Palpatine and you're like, he's just misunderstood. No, like, Luke Skywalker, these guys are better, right? There's like the good and the bad. How do you know? Again, you're resonating with that. I'm having fun with this because it's kind of heavy. C.S. Lewis said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. But if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Why did he say that? Because he was realizing that worldviews actually matter. Worldviews, if you accept them and you live them out, they actually matter. That's what actually influences what we do, the way you see the world. So we should all be very concerned with making sure our worldview is aligned with reality. And this is what I, I, I love about the Christian faith and the Christian worldview. And I feel like it's so terribly mischaracterized, even by Christians often, where we make Christianity so dumbed down and just sort of watered down to sort of like a feel-good type of a thing rather than this utterly magnificent and yet terrible worldview that has such ramifications on life. The Christian religion is not just a religion. It stands as an ex explanation. It purports to be an explanation of the way things really are. So when I think about the Christian story, when I think about the Christian worldview or the Christian faith, it's not just a religion, it is the true story of reality. I truly believe there was and is a God who created all things, who established that which is right and that which is wrong, who established the laws of reason and logic, which allows me as a human being created in God's image to actually interact with the physical, intellectual, philosophical world that is around me, 
to trust and have some sense of concreteness about my ability to live even in the physical universe and recognize the laws of physics will continue to operate and why they're called laws in the first place, that God gives us the laws of logic that allow me to establish the axioms of thought that I operate in, like mathematics and the fact that there is truth and falsehood and the ability to perceive truth and lies and all of these types of things, and a God who establishes the laws of morality that allows me to see the line. Now, ultimately, what Christians believe is that even if we have an accurate perspective of life, that we find ourselves always leaning on the wrong side of God's holy law and on the wrong side of of relationship with God. And that's why this third element of redemption is so valuable, that Jesus showed up. This statement that Jesus made to his disciples in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Even being a person who perfectly understands the Christian worldview does not save you. That's not, knowing things does not save you or not knowing them doesn't condemn you. It comes down to, are you accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior? Are you connecting with him relationally? The reality is that truth is not purely abstract. It's also relational, right? You can be a person who has accurate views and does the wrong things. And you can be a person with inaccurate views who does the right things. Okay, and I think we all understand that about life, which is why these words that Jesus said to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That is the key that unlocks the whole thing is a relationship with Jesus because it's not enough just to know that which is real. It's to relate to it correctly. And ultimately that comes to relationship with Jesus. Now I'm out of time today. I know you want me to go on for another two hours, but I'm not going to. We want to jump into connect groups. What I want to do is I want to give you an opportunity if you're watching today here live or on replay to put your faith in Jesus. Now we're going to pray a prayer, but the prayer doesn't make you a Christian. What you decide is, are you going to trust and follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And you can take an act of faith or a step of faith now, but then it is on you to really make a decision. Am I going to understand who Jesus is, what he did for me, and what this worldview is? And am I going to follow him and become a student of his, which is what we call a disciple? Now, if that's you and you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus, Scripture says if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. So I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me right now. Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Lord, I admit that I am a sinner. I have fallen. Lord, I accept that you are God. You are king. You establish that which is right and wrong, and I'm on the wrong side of it, and so I need redemption. I need to be saved, and so I confess my sin, but I receive your great forgiveness and your great love on my behalf. I put my faith and trust in you and in you alone, and I ask you to lead me on this journey of being your follower for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. If you prayed that prayer today, I want you to text the word DECIDED to 541-229-8848, and we're going to help you take the next step. If you want to become uh, more of a part of Joy Church, get connected to the family here, uh, get to hear more sermons on worldview and philosophy, come on, it's fun, Uh, then just text the word HOME to 541-229-8848, that same number, and we're going to follow up with you guys. Hey, we're going to jump into connect groups. So good to be with you guys. We'll see you at the park at 630. Have a wonderful day. God bless.